If you have your Bibles today, if you'll open up with me to the book of Luke, chapter 12, we're going to just focus on the first verses that Matt read today. These verses go together, 35 through 48, so we read them. We're going to focus on through verse 40 today. And I want to just encourage you today and pray that the Lord will bless you today with this encouragement and help you to see maybe differently, bring you to some new revelation today concerning this great gift that God has given you. You see, we, we have a great and wonderful and beautiful gift God has given us that we so often and most of the time take for granted. The gift of time. We have been given time. And you may say, well, okay, I know I've been given time. That's great. I know I woke up this morning. The seconds of the clock are ticking away. I know that I have been given time. Well, it's one thing to know it. It's another thing to appreciate it. And it's quite another thing to actually value and use it well. You see, what Jesus is teaching his disciples here and what he's telling us this morning is that we have been given a great gift to exist between his first and second advent, his first and second coming. We have been given this great gift of time in this epoch of history in which there is still time for still moments in time for folks to come to faith in him. It is an opportunity for us to glorify him. It's an opportunity for us to make much of him. And what he's saying here to his disciples is that we should live moment to moment with a great anticipation that this gift of time, although valuable and usable and something to give back to God, could at any moment end because he's coming back. You know, Jesus is really coming back. He really is. I mean, there is going to come a day when he is going to return and part the sky, so to speak, as the old timers say. I, he is going to come rolling in. And he's going to come rolling in with his angels. He's going to come rolling in with all of those saints who have gone on before us. Paul taught the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says, I don't want you to grieve as those who have no hope. You should not grieve as those who have no hope. We grieve much differently, those of us who are in Christ. Because we know this is not the end. We know there's coming a day when Christ is going to return with a shout. And with the trumpet blast of the archangel and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now they're coming with him in the clouds, but their bodies are going to rise from the ground. They're going to be reunited with those bodies and he's going to recreate those bodies into a perfect body. One that is not tainted by sin. A body that, that never grows old, never grows weary, never grows sick. We're going to live in those bodies forever. Isn't that amazing? No one said amen to that. All right. You see, this is really going to happen. The problem is, is that it has been delayed. And the problem is, is that in that delay, we begin to lose our anticipation. We begin to live as though it's not coming. And we begin to take for granted the time that we've been given before it does happen. See, Jesus uses an illustration here, several illustrations here. But he starts out and he talks about... The servant who is dressed for action, whose lamp is burning. See, in that day and age, the servants or slaves would dress in a long oriental type of dress. 
And when they were in a hurry or when they were busy and they needed to be ready for action, they would tie up that dress or that robe around their waist in such a way that they could move quickly. And he's using this illustration to, to teach us something very important here about living a life of anticipation for that knock at the door. He's saying, these servants who are dressed and ready for action, he says, you need to be like them. They're waiting for their master to return home, to come home from the wedding feast so they may open the door. They're just waiting for that knock at the door, waiting for it. They just can't wait. They've, they've got the, their, their dress tied up around their waist. They've got the lamps burning. They're just waiting. But while they're waiting, they are doing the work that he has given them. They are serving him well, doing all of the things that he left for them to do. So there's this great anticipation, this great wait for the knock on the door. They can't wait. They're just, just ready to run to the door at any moment in time. And while they're waiting, they are doing everything that he has given them to do in the meantime. That's what Christ wants for us. He wants for us to have that mindset, that attitude. He could return today. He could return right now. He could return at this very moment. We need to be heavenly minded, you see, all the time. He might return right this second. He could return. But in the meantime... I have my robe tied up around my waist, my lamp burning. I'm ready for the door to to, to open. I'm ready to go open that door. I'm ready for the knock. But in the meantime, I'm working to do all of the things that he has given me to do in the meantime here on earth. In this great period of time, this great privilege, this great gift that he has given me between his first and his second advent. And when he returns, the scripture says here, when he returns, he says, blessed are those sermons whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at a table and he will come and serve them. What in the world is that? Jesus is going to return and he's going to serve us. He's going to provide for our every need. He's going to take care of us. I I mean, I I can't, can you imagine? Have you thought about that? I mean, we're definitely going to have the opportunity to serve him in heaven, but he is saying here, if we're ready, if we know Jesus Christ is our savior and Lord and we love him and, and we're following him and we're ready and we're anticipating his return, he's going to return and then he's going to dress and serve us. And take care of us. That's amazing, isn't it? What an exciting and wonderful promise that God has given us here. What a great challenge that he has left us with. This challenge to anticipate the return of Jesus. I want to ask you a question this morning. If you had a bank that credited your account each morning with $86,000 that if you had a bank that credited your account each morning with $86,000 that carried over no balance from day to day, allowed you to keep no cash in your account and every evening canceled whatever part of the amount you failed to use during the day, what would you do? You'd use it, wouldn't you? Some of you shaking your head. Absolutely, I could find something to do with $86,000 every day. Every day, I would have no problem with carrying that over. I can think of something right now I'd do with the $86,000 every day. You would draw out every red cent of it. You would use it to your advantage. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that we have such a bank, and its name is time. You see, every morning it credits you with 86400 
seconds. Every night it rules off as lost whatever of this you fail to invest to good purpose. It carries over no balances. It allows no overdrafts. Each day it opens up a new account with you. If you fail to use the day's deposits, the loss is yours. There's no going back. There's no drawing against tomorrow. 86,400 seconds every day. No carrying over to tomorrow. You have the privilege and opportunity to use it right now. Whatever you choose not to use is lost to you. Whatever you choose to waste is just that, a waste. You see, Jesus is teaching his followers to live heavenly minded, to anticipate his return, and to be as his servants about the business that he has given us to do, to be faithful. He goes on and makes that clear in the verses we're going to focus on next week. But I just want us to, to, to today just focus on a little bit on just the opportunity itself that we have. You're drawing breath today because God decided you would do so. It's a great blessing. It's a wonderful thing. The older we get, the more we appreciate waking up in the morning, right? Uh, my, my grandmother used to say something to that effect. That she just thanked God every morning that she woke up. I thought, well, Granny, I wake up every day. And it I, doesn't occur to me to thank him that I woke up, but that's good. The older you get, the more you understand what she was saying there, right? Every day is a precious gift. Every day, 86,400 seconds that we've been given, should we live through the course of the entire day, that we have an opportunity to be about the Lord's business, anticipating all the time his return, or using however else we might seem or deem profitable to us. There's three things that we really know about time for sure. One is, is that we have the absolute certainty that we have a finite amount of it. We don't know how much we have left, each and every one of us, but we know one thing, we have a finite amount of time that we're going to be here on the earth. We also know that we're going to be held accountable for how we use our time. That we're given. Jesus has made that abundantly clear over and over again in his teachings in the New Testament. There's coming a day when there will be an accountability for how we use our time on earth. And the third thing we know about time is that someday it will end. God operates outside of time, and someday we are going to live in eternity outside of time. I want you to think with me for a minute. Some of you will get this illustration, some of you won't. Some of you are going to have to go home and ask your spouse about it later. All right, and that's good. That's a great thing. Time. You can envision time as a shoebox. Okay, just go with me for a second here. Time is like a shoebox. Everything in the shoebox is time, beginning to end. From the very beginning when God created time to the very end when he wraps up the earth and wraps up everything and it all comes to its conclusion, time is in a shoebox. God is not in that shoebox. He is outside of the shoebox, looking down inside the shoebox. We are the ones inside the shoebox. We're the ones inside of time right now. God operates in time. He does things in time. He is in time and outside of time, but he does not exist in himself in time. You see, we only exist in time right now. Someday we're, we're going to exist outside of time. We're going to leave this shoebox, right? Praise God for that. And we're going to live outside of time. It's no longer going to have an effect on us. We're no longer going to measure things in time. No longer going to measure our existence as such. Time is just for now. So that's the third thing we understand, is that someday time will be no more. See, time is a precious blessing that God has given us. 
It's a temporary kind of thing. So the question here this morning is, how are you using your time? How are you using it? What are you doing with it? Do you anticipate the Lord's return? Is he on your mind? Are you about the business of what God is about the business of doing? Are you joining in with him in what he's doing? Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which he has prepared in advance for us to do, for us to be a part of. So God is doing something. And he has you here in this moment in time with the idea in mind that you will join with him in what he's doing. That's why he placed you where he has placed you, when he has placed you, and how he has placed you. Because you are strategically in that spot, both in time and place, so you can be a part of what he's doing right then and right there. You see, you had no idea of your importance. God has chosen to make us important. He has put us when we are and where we are so we could be a part of what he is doing right here, right now. So the question is, is are you doing that? You see, we spend our time, and a lot of times spending our time in, in ways that we don't account for, we don't even think about. You know, the average American will spend six months sitting at stoplights, six months of their life, six months of your life is at a stoplight. Now, how could you use six months of your life? What could you do at a stoplight? You know, if you chose from this day forward that every time you came to a stoplight, you were going to pray for your pastor and your church, you would spend six months of your life praying for your pastor and your church. If you decided that you... For every time you came to a stoplight, you were going to pray for your children or your spouse. You would spend six months of your life praying for your spouse and for your kids when your life was over. We'll spend eight months of our life opening junk mail. You can just delete it, not open it, and use that time in prayer, right? We'll spend one year looking for misplaced objects. One year of your life, they say. We spend looking for misplaced. Some of you say, I've already spent two years of my life looking for misplaced objects. But what if the entire time you were looking for a misplaced object, you decided that you were going to sing praise to the Lord? You just start singing hymns. You start singing praise songs that we sing on Sunday morning. What if you did that? How would that change your life? How is that a better use of your time? When you come to the end of your life and Jesus says, you spent here 14 months looking for lost socks. Still haven't found out how two go in and one comes out of the dryer every time, right? But what if instead he said, while you were looking for socks, you sang praises to me. You spent 14 months of your life praising my name while you're looking for socks. Now, we also, statistics will tell us, that we spend two years unsuccessfully returning phone calls. He said, surely not. I don't spend that much time. Think about how many times you've tried to return a phone call that they didn't answer the phone and you had to leave a message? You're spending an average of two years of your life returning phone calls. Four years of your life is spent doing housework. Now, some of you are not going to quite meet that, right? I'm teasing you. But four years of your life. Four years of your life doing housework. Now, what could you do with that time? What could you do with that time? Pray, praise, praise. Call somebody up, encourage them. 
You know, you can put one of these in your ear now while you're, you're cleaning and doing things. You call somebody, check on somebody that you know has been sick, been hurt, somebody in church, somebody that you know needs encouragement, love on somebody. Four years. Five years of your life will be spent waiting in line. Five years. So you have five years of opportunity there that you could talk to somebody, get to know somebody, find out a little bit more about your fellow human being, maybe invite them to church with you. You know, what I've realized in my life is is that you really don't have to have any strangers in your life unless you want to. I mean, you really can talk to the people around you. Nine times out of ten, they're going to talk back. Occasionally you have that person, they're not going to do it, okay? They're just going to think, what's wrong with this person talking to me? I don't know what's going on here. I'm really uncomfortable, and they just, they're going on their own thing. That, that, that's okay if they do that, all right? They, they're not going to bite you, all right? They're not going to hurt you. You know, you, you just go and you start talking to them. Whatever that may be. I have found tattoos are a great, a great conversation starter. You know that? I was eating, I think, with Lenny the other day. We had this guy come in here in the restaurant, and he was a big old guy. He had a big tattoo of the Incredible Hulk on his arm and several other Avengers on his arm. He had room for a lot on there. It was a big arm. I looked at him. I said, man, my son would love your arm. <laughs> he said, hey, you want to take a picture of it? Sure, man. I want to take a picture of your tattoo. But you see, now I can talk to him. You see, when you're waiting in line, people are bored. People are just like you. They're just turning into zombies while they're standing there waiting in line. So you have an opportunity. Five years of your life, you're waiting in line. Here is an opportunity for you to kick off a conversation, talk to somebody, share with somebody, encourage somebody, invite somebody to church with you, invite somebody to come here, maybe even share Christ with somebody because you really don't know what you're going to get into when you start a conversation with a complete stranger. And sometimes the Holy Spirit is working on them, they're broken, and they're ready right then to know Jesus Christ. Five years of your life, you'll wait in line and do nothing. Or you'll wait in line, heavenly-minded, looking for an opportunity to serve Christ. And one more, we'll spend six years of our life eating. For Baptists, it's a little longer than that, right? Six years of our life eating. How do you spend those meals? You see, a lot of folks nowadays spend their meals eating and looking at their phone. What if you set your phone aside? What if you spent that time pouring into your spouse and your spouse into you? What if you spent that time talking to your kids? What if you spent that time just encouraging them, finding out about their day? See, people don't do that much anymore. You see, one, one of the things that, that I'm... Kim and I are trying to do right now, what we're trying to instill is, is the idea that at the table, this is a time to talk. And I'll even do it with Ava. I, drink, I like to drink a cup of coffee. Who likes coffee after dinner? Everybody ought to like coffee after dinner. That's right. So I drink coffee after dinner. Sometimes Kim will drink a chai after dinner. She likes chai tea. That's her choice. So right now, I, I will sit down with the kids. And Zachary, he's not so much for it right now. Ava's starting to grasp it. I'll say, okay, now it's time to have coffee. Let's have coffee and talk. And I'll say, Ava, tell me about your day. And it's surprising at two what she'll talk about. She'll begin to rehearse for you her day, what she did today, as best she can recollect. Zachary will kind of get into it some too. We're going to spend six years of our life eating. How are you going to spend that time? 
You see, what this passage of Scripture convicts me of and what I hope it convicts you of is that every moment is an opportunity. Either grasped, realized, and used, or lost. It's an opportunity to be heavenly minded and to see how God might use that moment in your life to do something great. Or it's an opportunity lost. It's a moment lost in time. Jesus says in this passage that we're to be heavenly minded all the time. But we're distracted, aren't we? We're distracted. Distraction robs us of vitality and life. You see, we're so bombarded in our day and time with activity, social media, sports, all kinds of things, that our mind is occupied to the point that Christ is pushed to the periphery of our mind. He's on the outs, outlying areas. He gets an hour on Sunday morning, a few, minute, few minutes maybe in the morning before we leave for work, maybe a few minutes at night before we go to sleep. But he's so oftentimes pushed to the peripheries and to the what little we have left of our day, our mind, and our attention. That's not what Christ's intention is here, is it? He says, you need to be a servant who has your robe tied around your waist, whose lamp is burning, who's anticipating the knock on the door and being about the business that I've given. What is that business? That business is whatever he's doing in our life. You see, in, in our life, the stranger that we're waiting with in line, that's Christ. Christ has business with them. He's put me in their life. There's business here to be had. Christ has made me the father of Zachary and Ava. I have business there. Christ is doing something there in their life. I have an opportunity to be a part of it as their daddy. You see, we have business here with one another, to love on one another, to bless one another, to encourage one another, to spur one another on to good works, to pray for one another. You see? So as you do your housework, you make that phone call. You call up somebody that's not here today. You check on them. You see what's going on. You encourage them. You help them. We know this week, Van lost his mother. Sharita lost her father. They need the love of their family here. They need that encouragement. They need that card. They need that call. We have the time to do it. It's just a matter of whether or not we will. See, if you want to get a hold on your time and you want to see a change in your time, I want to, I want to just encourage you and give you three things real quick. If you see that your time and the way you utilize your time that is out of control and you're out of control and your time rules you rather than vice versa and your time is really spent on worldly pursuits and just selfish pursuits rather than upon Christ and upon what God's doing around you. I just want to encourage you to first fast and pray. We don't preach a lot on fasting. Fasting is important. Fasting is a way of stepping back and stepping outside of what is common, what is casual, and even what is normal for our day. It helps us to focus it helps us to pay attention. It helps us to be sensitive to the heavenlies, to be sensitive to Christ and His Holy Spirit at work within us. So, so fast and pray. Don't just fast. If you're just fasting, you're dieting, okay? If you're just fasting without prayer, that's just dieting. They call it a cleanse nowadays, right? So, so fast and pray and seek the face of God. And ask the Lord. Just say, Lord, where am I missing the opportunities? Lord, where am I spending time? On things that really don't matter. Lord, how can I better use the gift of time that you've given me? Maybe you would pray, Lord, make me bold to talk to somebody that I'm standing in line with. Make me bold 
Make me attentive. Make me intentional to talk to the person who waits on my table at the restaurant. Lord, help me to bless and to use the time. Another thing that I would encourage you to do, and this is just practical, applicable stuff to our life, just fast from media, social media, and technology. Let me tell you something that's happening today. Our mind is being wired, and it's being wired in a way that's different from generations prior. The kids that are coming up today, they're now doing studies that indicate that their minds are wired differently than ours because of their exposure to electronics and social media. It is messing with us, guys. It's messing with the way we look at life. And we need to take some time to fast from that. So I, I want to challenge you. What, how many of you do you think, now, now especially for the crowd that's, that's under 40, okay, let's say here, but especially for the under 40, under 50 crowd, but it applies to all of us, all right? Could you even do it? See, I, I would venture a guess that, that so many in this room, especially the younger ones in this room, if you could not look at your phone for a day or the computer for a day or some kind of electronics or social media for a day, you would be like a heroin addict by midday. Just short of the shakes. You would. It would be driving you nuts. It would be like you're being eat up with worms inside to find out what's going on in the world. I don't know what's going on out there. I don't know what's going on with my friends. I don't know what the person I graduated in high school that I haven't seen in 20 years is doing today. And I know it every day because of Facebook, right? So I, 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 got I, I need to check my email. I've got to, somebody might need me. And that's how they're going to get a hold of me. I mean, we would lose our minds, some of us, if we had to go one day without social media. You see, the reason that I challenge you with that this morning to fast and pray and then fast from social media is because it will help you to see where your time is really being used and what's really important to you. It will help you to see how you're wasting so much of the gift that is time. There are some 25-year-old men that need to fast from Xbox. They need to fast from a computer. They need to fast from Facebook. They need to fast from Twitter. They need to fast from Instagram. They need to fast from surfing the net. They need to pray. God, how am I using my time? How am I using my time? And the third challenge I would say in light of this is that we would pray every day that God would make us aware and help us to see what he's put us on earth to do. You know, one great challenge that I was given from the pulpit was by an evangelist who came to our church when I was 13 years old. And he said, you boys and girls in the youth group, he said, you youth, he said, you go home and you begin tonight to pray every day that God would tell you that he would show you what he wants you to do with your life and he'll do it. Well, I was 13 years old, and I had just enough faith to do that. I really believed God was going to speak to me what I'm supposed to do with my life. So I went home that very night and began to pray every night when I went to bed, God, would you show me what you want me to do with my life? Would you tell me what you want me to do with my life? I don't remember how long I prayed that before I had that word. It wasn't long. God very clearly spoke into my heart and said, I want you to preach the gospel. I said, God, I will be the best deacon that you ever had. At any church that you want to put me in. God, I'll be a Sunday school teacher and I will be a good Sunday school teacher, Lord. But I really don't want to be a preacher. 
And so I went through that process for the next two years where I prayed and, and, and God worked on my heart. And God made it very clear that this was his will for my life. But he also gave me a passion for it and a desire for it. He began to do exactly what Psalm 37 says. He began to write on my heart the desires he had for me. My desires began to change because I was trying as best I could as a young little boy to submit myself to Christ and his plans for my life. And so he took me up on what I was praying. He took, took up the offer, and he, he began to write on my heart the desires he had for me so that by the time that I walked the aisle and made a public profession and commitment to what I knew God had called me to do with my life, I had a desire and a passion to do it. You see, it's funny to me sometimes folks will say, well, you know, I'm really afraid God's going to call me to be a missionary. Well, Darlene, that's not such a bad call, is it? You know, if you're called to be a missionary, you want to go, don't you? You have a passion to go. You have a desire to go. Nothing else you can do with your life. You see, I had a pastor tell me, that same evangelist, in fact, told me when I was 18, he said, listen, if you can do anything else with your life, go do it. He said, if you can do anything else other than preach, you go do it. But if you're called to preach, you won't be able to do anything else. He said, if God really has his hand on your life, he said, you're not going to be happy doing anything else. You're going to have a fire in your bones to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you'll never be able to do anything else if God has really called you. You'll be miserable if you try. And that's true. That's true. You see, we should fast and pray, seek God, make him the center of our world, and ask him to be our everything. We should fast and pray from other things that are occupying our time, in ways that they are unhealthy and should not be, and give those things back to God and let Him redeem those things. And we should pray and ask God, God, make me aware of where you're at work around me so I can join in as your faithful servant as we saw a picture of in this passage so I can be a part of what you're doing in the world around me in just the way you created me to do and intended for me. As Ephesians 2.10 says, you created me with things in mind to do, things you have already prepared in advance for me to do. Make me aware of it. Make me, Lord, a person that knows what that is and may I join you in it. May I join you in it. See, this passage of Scripture in these first verses, 35 through 40, we see Christ teaching us here that we have an opportunity. But so often what happens is, is that there is this delay and we think life is going to last forever, some of us. And we think we have time and we think it's going to be a while before Jesus returns. And so we become tempted to be earthly minded rather than heavenly minded. We're not really anticipating the knock. We're really not paying attention to why God may have put us here. We're really not even concerned about that as much as we are the many pleasures that this life may have. And nothing wrong with pleasure. Let me tell you something. I like watching Ranger games. I like it. I watch every Ranger game just about. I've even converted my wife to become a Ranger fan. Some men have asked me, how did you do this? How did you do this, that your wife likes this as much as you do? I said, I really don't know. It just must be a marriage made in heaven. But we love it. Now our little boy loves it. You know, Zachary loves it. Ava loves it. She loves Josh Hamilton. You know, she just, she, she loves it, wants to watch it when he comes up to bat. We love that. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. There's something wrong with that if it takes the place of Jesus in my life. It's something wrong with that if it takes a place and it begins to occupy time and attention that only belongs to Jesus. Something wrong with that if it becomes a love in my life that rivals my Christ. There's something wrong with that if it detracts me or deters me from God's purpose for me to be here on earth. Nothing wrong with, with some of the many wonderful things God has given us to enjoy on earth. So don't, don't take this wrong of what I'm saying here this morning, okay? I, I'm not one of these old preachers, these old fundamentalist weirdos that used to get up and say, you should never do this. 
this. You should never do this. You should never do this. You know, and all you should ever do is be fasting, praying, and reading the Word of God. Listen, nothing wrong with those things, and you should do those things. You should do a lot of those things. But I'm telling you right now that God put us here and gave us a whole lot of beauty to look at and a whole lot of things to enjoy. All right? And, and there's nothing wrong with enjoying some of it. I, I really believe that. I believe that Jesus never would have ever made the, the lily and the rose if he hadn't intended for us to enjoy the two of them. Right? Uh, he never would have gone to all the trouble to, to create this wonderful creation and all of its incredible diversity if he didn't intend for us to enjoy it. So there are a great many things here that we can enjoy and we can have fun doing. But what I'm saying to you now is that even in the midst of doing them, we have, and even in the midst of enjoying those things, we have this great opportunity to put Christ in the center of it. We have a great opportunity to enjoy Christ. To glorify Him. We have a great privilege to do so. You know, some of you think I'm a weirdo, and I am. But really. But I think as you get older, after you pass a certain age, I don't know where that is. It could be 35, 36 for some of us, 40 for others. But you just come to a place, this buddy of mine I grew up with, we were talking about this about 10 years ago because that's where I reached it, I guess. But we both were talking about it and we said, you know, we know that we are geeks and nerds and weird and we just embrace that. It's okay. It's okay to be different. You just don't care as much about fitting in anymore. Just be yourself. All right? But this may seem weird to some of you guys, but, you know, as I, as I give you the illustration of the Rangers, one of the things came to my mind, I was laying in bed one night and watched the Ranger game. We keep up with everything on the Rangers. We just do in our house. And so we'd watch the Ranger game, and there's a Ranger. Some of you know Leonis Martin, okay? We love Leonis Martin because he can throw the ball hard from center field and throw him out. So we like Leonis Martin. He got sent down to the minor leagues. He got sent down to Triple AAA Round Rock, okay? It's where their Triple A affiliate is. So an idea came to my mind that night. I watch these games just about every day when I can. It's about, you know, just the way we spend our, our evenings is dinner and sitting around doing this. So I, I said, I, I know what's going on with these individual players. So I said, I looked him up on Twitter. I decided, you know what, I'm going to send Leonis Martin. I'm going to send him a message on Twitter. And I sent him a little message. I said, you know, hey, Saul, you got sent down. We're really hoping you get back to Arlington soon. I pray God really blesses you, gets you back here quick. Went to sleep. Next morning, he sent something back. And you know what I decided was is that if I'm going to spend so much time doing this, watching this, why not just send something to these guys? He had a great game today, praying for you, hoping things going well for you today. He said, man, you're just a weirdo. So they're not really going to ever see it. You know what? They may not. They may. I don't care if they ever say anything back to me. Odds are they probably see at least half of the things that I'm going to send to them. But I've decided every day I'm just going to send one thing to one player. I'm just going to send something, something to them. I'm just going to send something as a word of encouragement. And so that's what I did. And that's what I do. And I thought, you know, that's really not much. But it's just one example of one small thing that we can do. And that's what this is about, guys. Small things that we can do that redeem the time and put us in a place where we are cooperating with what the Master's doing while He's away. We are a part of His work, anticipating all the time 
his return. Because you see, he is coming back. See, we worship a God who is real. We worship a God who exists. We worship a God who created us, breathed life in us, and sustains us. We worship a God who sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. We worship a God who redeems us, loves us, and loves us and demonstrated that love to us by sending his son to die for our sins, even while we were rebels against him and sinners in our darkest hour. We worship a God who loves us infinitely beyond all our comprehension, who has saved us and who has promised us this is not the end. We have great hope and anticipation of great things to come when he comes back. He is coming back. And between now and then, either whatever time we have on this earth before we physically meet our demise or when he parts the eastern sky and comes to get us, we have a great privilege to be a part of what he's doing. And so my challenge to you this morning, among all the ones that I've given you thus far, is that you would pray this week, you would seek the Lord and be determined to begin to use your time in a way that glorifies him between now and then because he's coming. Let's bow together.